Welcome to the Power of Love show sponsored by the DDG. Welcome to the Power of Love show sponsored by the DD Jackson Foundation, where we shine a light on loss and grief and how it impacts our lives. We are here to provide hope, resources, and a community so no one feels alone in their grief. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Power of Love show sponsored by the DD Jackson Foundation. I am TJ Jackson, and with me, I have my eldest brother, Todd Jackson, rocking his same wear that he always seems to wear, the black hat. I haven't taken it off since. (laughs) (laughs) The black hoodie, 3T Brotherhood 25 hoodie. Um, Taj, it's good to see you, man. How are you? Good to see you too, T. Doing well. Good, man. Um, We have a great show, um, but before we get started, I guess we need to do disclaimers and inform everyone. And the first thing I do want to say is thank you to everyone who is tuned in live with us on YouTube or Facebook. You can also be listening to us on our podcast, The Power of Love Podcast. And if you are listening to us on the podcast, make sure you subscribe. You can also follow us on Facebook and subscribe on YouTube so you don't miss these shows. As again, the whole mission of these shows is to bring inspiration, hope, and positivity to you every single Wednesday. As for a disclaimer, we are not licensed therapists. We are just ordinary people who've experienced loss in our lives. We've been impacted by it and we've learned from it. Saying that if you need professional help, we urge you to seek it and to find it. Please do not just rely on us. Um, Todd Jackson, how was your week? The week? Um, it was good. Uh, that was the Super Bowl, right? We had the Super Bowl? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, the Super Bowl was interesting, a little disappointing, you know, of a yeah. game. Thought it would be closer. Thought it would be, you know, um, but yeah, I can't say yeah. much else. I mean, yeah, that's all I'm going to say for now. <laughs> you are funny, man. I don't want to say anything about the halftime performance, you know, in, in that way, but, you know, because I don't want, you know, it's, I, I respect all artists in, in that way, and, and it's hard to do that in general. You know. I understand. I understand. Um, Taj, my week was similar to yours. I, we saw the foot, uh, the Super Bowl, the biggest football game of the year. I wasn't as into it this year, which was kind of sad because there's two great teams and a great storyline. But I don't know. I just I don't know if it's quarantine. I don't know if it's the pandemic. I don't know if it's the commercials. I saw a lot of big names pulling out, so I wasn't so into the commercials. The halftime show – was um, I'm going to take your approach and felt that, you know, artists, it's not an easy show. You know, in that way. So it's just, it's just, yeah. It's just a lackluster uh, show altogether in that way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Saying that um, we, uh, I felt like there was one more thing I wanted to do before bringing in our guests, but, oh, I want to ask you real quick, Taj, Valentine's Day, you got anything planned? Um, we've talked about it. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I have something planned secretly, but not nothing like over the top. Okay. I will I will follow up next week and and we can go from there to see uh, how it all went. Um, with that said, Todd, I think it's time to, to what's that? <laughs> so don't hold your breath on anything very super ex- excited. Nothing too excited. <laughs> okay. Well, everyone, after the positive feedback we received from last year's mental health series. 
we at DDJF decided it would be a great idea to launch another series of episodes focusing on various aspects of mental health. Um, on today's show, we welcome back a previous guest, guest of ours. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and his name is John Gavignano. Gavignano. John's going to kill me and he's going to correct me, but I think I'm close. Um, But as you remember, John specializes in treating LGBT individuals and has expertise in treating people with codependency issues, survivors of abusive relationships, and those with low self-esteem. John's goal remains to help his clients remove blockages that prevent them from their highest potential and learn new habits to break those unhealthy cycles. He graduated from Pepperdine University in Malibu, California, and has 12 years, a lot of years of experience as a psychotherapist. With Valentine's Day fast approaching, we thought it would be best to invite John here today to help guide those who may be grieving the loss of a significant other, whether it's to breakup, divorce, or a passing. John is here to give us tips for getting through a day that is meant to be special. But, but that can be heavy and triggering for some. Please welcome back, everyone, to the Power of Love show, Mr. John Gavignano. John. Guys, good to see you again. How's it how, going? How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you guys? We are excellent. And we want to thank you for joining us and kicking off our second mental health episode series um, where we discuss mental health. As we know, um, this pandemic has seems to have brought a high level of, of mental health issues for many around the world. Um, even myself, I haven't felt as you know mentally positive and stable as usual. And I know it probably has something to do with the pandemic and the, all the different changes that are going on. So I thank you for joining us for a second time because Valentine's Day is fast approaching and there are many out there who will not have the privilege of celebrating with their significant others due to loss. Um, What advice? So my first question to you, John, is what advice would you give to people who are grieving, um, whether it's a divorce or a breakup? We'll start with there. Yeah, That's a really good question. I mean, I think the best place to start is to ask yourself how much validity do you want to give the holiday in the first place, right? Because sometimes it can seem a little imposed upon us, right? There's this commercialized idea of you have to give this day significance, right? Some people almost only give it significance because they feel like they need to or they're in a relationship and there's certain expectations they need to fulfill. Um, So being honest with yourself about that, I think is the first thing because some people might be able to choose to just ignore it. Now, that being said, if you can't for understandable reasons and a lot of people are gonna be really triggered by it, then you know that's another story. And in that case, I would say the best thing to do is try to honor what you're really feeling. I mean, if you're really sad and you really miss somebody, maybe the best way to remember someone if they passed might be to have some type of ritual, whatever, helps you feel connected with that person, whether that's, you know, visiting something, a place that you guys used to go to together, um, rehashing uh, some of those memories that you had together to kind of honor what you did have with them. Um, that would be one way to go about it. Obviously that's for someone uh, 
who has maybe lost a partner. Um, if you've recently gone through a divorce or breakup, um, that's something maybe you might better benefit with trying to not remember them, <laughs> depending on, you know, how you feel about them. And that might be uh, gone about by spending time with friends. If you have single friends, doing something for yourself, that's maybe when you might opt out of the whole, um, you know, holiday type of vibe. But I mean, I think it depends on the type of loss, you know. Now, what about any direct advice for those who may have lost a significant other, whether it was due to COVID or just a tragedy? What advice would you give them on their first um, Valentine's Day without their, their partner? Yeah, and that's a really difficult position to be in. And my heart definitely goes out to people that have experienced that. I would say try to honor them as, as best as possible. That, that would be the time to spend time doing things that maybe you did have really good memories with them about, spending time with friends and family and revisiting what you have experienced in the past with them. So you don't just forget that. What advice would you give? I'm going to change it up a bit. We've been in a pandemic since I think here in the States, at least since March. Um, what advice would you give to those couples who have quarantined together for nearly a year and they may be hitting a bump in the road of their relationship. They could be annoyed with each other. They could be, you know, stressed out or whatever issues that are happening. What advice would you give to couples who, who are struggling during this pandemic? Yeah, good question. Um, so what this pandemic is doing is it's bringing up issues that maybe have always been there that were very easy to look the other way about because we all had our outlets. There were so many things to do to distract us from things that would annoy us about our partner. And now we're getting face to face with it and we can't avoid it. Um, there are less tools to avoid things. So um, a lot of people think that, oh, you know what, if I just spend more time away from them, then it'll be better. Um, that's just another form of avoidance. So what we want to do is really look at what's coming up and acknowledge that, okay, this is here regardless. Um, what do I really think about this? What do I really feel about this? Is this something I want to divulge or get into into therapy? Maybe couples therapy is a good option for us. Um, it's ultimately an opportunity for growth whenever there are things that come up. So don't run from it. Don't feel like it's something that you need to be afraid of or necessarily means is the end of the relationship. A lot of times, these unmet needs that partners might be having or experiencing are simply just opportunities to learn about our partner more and our own needs and ways to connect better by facing those things. You mentioned therapy and couples therapy. I, I've never partaken in couples therapy, um, but if I felt my relationship was in a place, I would definitely do so. My question though is, do you recommend couples who are considering starting therapy, do you recommend them do it individually or as a couple simultaneously? So um, both is actually ideal. Um, if the primary issue is with the relationship, then I really recommend obviously for two people to be in the same room with the therapist and that would be couples therapy. Um, it can be very helpful if both individuals have their own separate therapist as well, because there are going to be a lot of issues that do come up about the relationship that should really be delved into personally on the side. 
because uh, it's tough to get into specifics because that really depends on the person. But some things are not for your other partner to do everything about, if that makes sense. That something might come up and then you acknowledge that's an issue and then you might say, okay, yeah, that is something I need to work on. I can see how that affects you negatively. And then you take it to your individual therapy and, and do the work there. Yeah. Um, Todd, you've never done any type of therapy at all, right? Um, no, not, not really. I mean, I, I think I, there was not, not couples therapy in that way. I've mm -hmm. done some therapy when mom passed like years and years later, but that was more in terms of just trying to find myself in that way. Um, in between three T time periods and stuff like that. But it was, it was just more reassurance for me. So I didn't go back. It was things I knew already. I just had to hear it from someone else <laughs> in that way. So it was different. It was different for me, but I do recommend it for people. Um, John, I, I did have some questions, but I'm seeing some great questions from the community. Um, so if, if you don't mind, some are non Valentine's day related, but since we have you, I, I thought we'd ask, um, Sienna wants to know, John, is it safe for my therapist and psychiatrist to just off the bat want to put me on antidepressants and antipsychotics without even me giving me a diagnosis or telling me what they may, what may be wrong with me? Huh. I mean, if that is happening, I would definitely be a little concerned. Um, anytime a patient is prescribed any medication, they should be informed why that medication is being prescribed, what their diagnosis is, and the risks and benefits of the medication. Um, so, um, yeah, if, if you're experiencing that, definitely ask those questions or, you know, maybe try a different psychiatrist that gives you that um safety and security because that's 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 a significant decision to make and you don't want to make that blindly and you know your doctor shouldn't be making you make that blindly either yeah i i was about to to you said at the end i was gonna say john may have to answer this nicely but i'm not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like taj and i don't like talking about other artists or performances john doesn't want to talk about other doctors but in my opinion, you have to know what's going on with yourself or, or you have to have that open communication with any specialist or profession when it comes to you. And they should never be hiding, in my opinion, what what is going on with yourself. So um, that's just the normal person saying what um, I, I feel. Um, another another great question, John, is can alcohol be a trigger to mental health? What should you do if you are trying to help a family member who does not want to seek help, but you know they need it? Really good question. And a lot of people are drinking more because of the pandemic and the quarantine. Um, it can be a trigger to mental health. Um, substance abuse can be a predisposition, uh, which means that there's a gene that can be turned on or off sometimes, not all the time. Um, so some people can find themselves in positions where maybe there's a lot of stress and they start drinking and maybe before they never would have developed a substance abuse issue and next thing you know, you know, it, it happens. Um, if you notice that a family member is experiencing that, um, definitely communicate that to them. Sometimes we have the loudest voices when it comes to people that we're close to um, and we have to really make sure that people know that we, what we see it, you know, could be harming them if we care about them. Now, if they listen, that's another story, and that's when we can get more people involved, if, depending on how bad it is. 
Um, and you always want to do it in a really supportive, kind, loving way. So if people don't get defensive and they know where you're coming from, um, the how I would say is almost more important than what you're saying, because you don't want people to shut down and feel like they can't tell you what they're going through. Yeah. Another question that, um, came about and from the, the therapy that I had in my mind when you were talking about couples therapy, um, do you think it would be wise for individual therapy, I should say, for couples to see the same therapist, or do you think it should be two different therapists? That's a really good question, and that comes up a lot. So two people in one relationship should see one therapist for the relationship, and they should see different therapists for their individual therapy. And there's a few reasons for that, um, which you know may or may not seem um, pretty easy to understand on the surface, but it's basically because there can be a conflict of interest if the same person is seeing both. And something if, if one therapist is seeing all three, uh, the relationship and the two individuals, then there can be a lot of overlapping and, and something called splitting, where someone tells one person one thing and someone tells someone the other thing. And it's just there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities for information to be misrepresented and you really want someone that has the priority to be just your relationship. So there's not this, I'm going to go somewhere else and say something and then say something else in here. And it just makes things confusing. Yeah. Uh, Sophia has a question, John, what would you do if you are worried about a friend or a relative? Hmm, I would want to know, uh, you know, in what regard, but if you're just worried in general, if they need, mental health, uh, help, then I would have to talk to them about it. I mean, these days it's becoming more normalized to casually talk about therapy. Um, I don't think that should feel like a huge, big conversation. Um, it should be a casual thing, right? If, if you notice someone might need therapy, I mean, people should throw that around like, oh yeah, like I, I have a really great person that does X, Y, and Z, you know, I know a really great therapist. You should try them. They've helped me with this. And you probably benefit from that too. Um, so yeah, no, no shame in talking about that at all. Yeah, it's great. Um, what is the best advice you can give to a couple struggling with communication, knowing that, I mean, communication is key to, to a relationship and, and trust. What is, what advice would you give to a couple or someone who's struggling making, getting that, that communication line going? Yeah. Good question. The first thing I would want to know is what's causing the breakdown in communication. Um, there can be a number of different reasons. Um, one of the most common reasons is when I do communicate my thoughts and feelings, my partner doesn't listen. They judge me. Um, there could be so many reasons, but those are the common ones that I hear the most. So to further expound on that, I would say if either of those are the issues, then you want to in therapy talk about when I said this, I felt judged. It made me not want to open up more because if you feel judged, you're not going to want to open up as much mm. as you open up and you feel judged, then it's like this cycle, right? And you have to just start mind reading and, and guessing what your partner's thinking. Um, so that would be one thing is being honest with yourself about why you're not communicating. So you can go from there. Yeah, um, I, I had a question, Lassa, but I do want to make this statement to everyone who's watching or listening. Um, 
I, I really appreciate and respect you guys being open and honest about your situation. Um, it's, it's commendable. And to me, I think I've said this before in a prior show, it's a sign of strength and, and control, which is beautiful. And um, so for everyone com uh, commenting or asking questions with personal issues, I, 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 rec I, I respect you all very much and, and commend you. Um, Caitlin wants to know, what are some questions we should ask a therapist in the first session when trying to see if the match is a good fit? Yeah, I would say ask them what their theoretical orientation is because everyone has a different um, approach. There's psychodynamic, which is the more classic Freudian um, approach to therapy, uh, things that happened in your childhood and how that affects how you interact with the world today. Uh, there's cognitive behavioral therapy, which is more uh, based on your thoughts, uh, feelings, and actions. Um, it's a little more short-term, a little more direct. Um, it doesn't go into your past as much, although sometimes it can. There's EBT, there's uh, dialectical behavior therapy, works a lot more with mindfulness, and it's very direct, gives you specific tools on what to do when you're having strong emotions. So figure out what approach they take because everyone responds to a different approach in a different way. And also I've noticed people have a very specific idea in their head of what they think therapy will be. And oftentimes it's a certain approach that might be different from the, the approach that the therapist they chose is working with. So figuring that out. Great. Yeah. Alicia asks, what would you tell someone who is afraid of therapy because they are afraid to open up Pandora's box? Yeah, really good question. Um, the more that we face things that are scary or difficult to face, those are the best opportunities for growth and to reveal the most light really within us. I mean, those darkest places, when we shed light on them, that's, that's when we really grow uh, psychologically, spiritually, so it can be daunting at first and it can seem scarier than it is, um, but it's, it's a safe environment. There's no judgment. And sometimes it can be very freeing to open up about things that you thought you couldn't and be contained is what, what, what we call it, um, by someone who can guide you through what your experience is. So, mm. But it can be scary. Um, Brandy asks, how does mental health get started? And I'm going to, I guess, kind of add to that. What would you recommend us do to, to strengthen our mental health and to try to keep it healthy so it doesn't snowball into something where we need help? Yeah, good question. I would say the first step starts with brutal honesty about yourself and awareness. I'm noticing myself getting more anxious. I'm noticing myself getting more irritable because I think that it's very easy for people to brush their own feelings under the rug and suppress them and say, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, acknowledging what you're really going through to you. And then from there, you can start to ask yourself, why? And is it because I'm not having an outlet as much as I used to before COVID? Is it because I'm not able to exercise as much as because I feel like there's more pressure to find work, etc. And going into the why you're feeling that way and also seeking support too, talking to other people about it, whether that's through therapy or through friends and family, because um, sometimes feeling alone about that can be so 
I, I have a question, John. In terms of, do you, is it one of the things that like, are you the last, because I'm not as familiar with mental health, I, I mean, in terms of, are you sometimes the last to know that you need help or is it something that you can recognize it inside yourself in that way? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it depends on the situation. Sometimes you can be last to know, but not always. Um, sometimes you're the first to know. You know and if you keep things inside um, really well, then I would imagine that you, that everyone else might be the last. <laughs> yeah. Everyone <laughs> else know? is like, yeah, yeah. But if, you know, if someone doesn't have a huge amount of self-awareness, then maybe you would be the last to know because everyone else is picking up on the things that you're putting out. Good. Okay. That makes complete sense. Yeah. This is a, a question that I hear often, actually. Um, it is from Lena Power. She asks, is there a chance that therapy can make your emotions about the issue even worse by bringing it up at all? Good question. People go through this a lot. And so the immediate short answer is yes, but only temporarily. So sometimes, when, yeah. And so when we're dealing from trauma, and just a, a side note, a good therapist will never force you or push you to talk about your trauma if you're not ready. But when we are talking about it eventually, when we do get to the point that we are able to feel safe, it can for sure be really dis distressful. Then that's okay. It's normal. You're not expected to not feel that. Um, but know that in talking about it and getting it out and completing your trauma narrative is what we call it, that can really help you release it and identify it and put a name to it and separate it from the part of you that does not have to. Um, but sometimes it is, it can be tricky to go through it. So I definitely want to go through John, that was one of the best responses and my favorite responses since doing this, really, because I, I love that honesty and, and it made a lot of sense. I never thought of it that way. Um, you answered yes and just say, but sh in the short term. And I think that's a brilliant way to say it. You know, it takes time to heal and to heal healthy and professionally and, and properly, I should say. So I, I applaud that response and, and think it's going to help a lot. So thank you. Um, L wants to know how to deal with someone who's a narcissist and if they're possibly going through postpartum depression all at the same time. As a friend, how do you help? Um, feel bad for her and her two babies, but I'm a little lost on how to help. Yeah, that is a very difficult situation to be in. And I'm not quite sure if she's talking about her friend is a narcissist or if her friend is with someone who's a narcissist. Um, but I'll, I'll go with the fact that her friend is with someone who's a narcissist. And I, I would tell them what you see. Um, narcissists are kind of notorious for not really seeking treatment. It's a, it's a subset of um, diagnoses that does not usually come to therapy on their own. If they do, it's when there's a huge crisis and then they fall as soon as the crisis is resolved. Um, because one of the problems of narcissism is not being able to acknowledge your faults. And um, part of, a big part of therapy is knowing that we're all human and we all have faults and that's okay. Um, but that's not a huge trait. So um, dealing with them, the best bet is more dealing with your own boundaries, it's not letting them in, recognizing 
what they're doing, recognizing your own self-worth, um, not allowing them to take that from you, um, keeping a, a safe distance from them. Um, there's, yeah, there's not much you can expect with them to go through that. So it's going to be about protecting yourself. Um, Aaliyah says, hey, John, as a child, my parents had me mentally evaluated every year because several different illnesses run in my family. Should I get my little ones evaluated as well? Yeah, good question. Uh, it doesn't hurt, right? Uh, kind of like I mentioned before, uh, there are predispositions and some of them are genetic and they can be turned on or off depending on environmental stressors. Um, and I mean, I think these days, uh, there might even be genetic tests to determine that, um, which is, you know, technically uh, that's, that's out of my personal scope, but I know that that exists out there. Um, so, and a lot of these things are, they're tough to really see when people are young. So, so you could get them evaluated. You may or may not see direct things, but it's, it's always good to, to keep an eye out and see, you know, if something isn't adding up to you, if you notice certain behaviors that might be, um, out of line or what you just think are maybe missing certain milestones or not getting along well with other kids, then it can never hurt to just get an evaluation. Vanessa, John, wants to know, what would you say to someone who's beginning to worry about their mental health and tries to improve it, but their own family unconsciously affects them instead of helping? Yeah, so that sounds like maybe there's an unsupportive family environment and that would be a situation when you really have to ask yourself, how much are they hurting and how much are they helping? And how do you draw a boundary there while still keeping the relationship? Because obviously family is important. We don't want to just cut everyone out that doesn't support us the way that we want. But maybe we just need to minimize how much we open up to them. Because maybe if we open up a lot, then they can do more harm than good because maybe they try to tell you, oh, don't feel that way or whatever. They might be dismissive or invalidate your feelings. So uh, it's, it's important to acknowledge what feels best for you in, in drawing those, those lines. Maybe it means having shorter phone conversations. Maybe it means keeping the topics more lighthearted and then going to people that you know will be able to hold your emotional trauma a little better so you still are heard and validated and seen but um sometimes family members are not always the best at that okay. uh clarice asked if you see someone struggling how do you suggest therapy to them hmm. good question um i would say it's kind of like we talked about earlier the how right i mean sometimes it it can feel like a very positive experience to have a friend talk to you empathetically and compassionately and hear that they see you in pain and that they know someone that would be really great for you to help them. Um, so making sure that you're coming from a really non-judgmental, kind, compassionate place. And if you've had experience in the past with a the therapist, sometimes opening up about that can help destigmatize it and help it feel like it's less of a um, judgmental type of thing. So that's, that's the route I would take. Uh, this is a great question from Angie. Uh, what causes mental illnesses? That is a really good question. It can be a lot of different things. 
So uh, there's genetic predispositions. There are um, there can be long periods of prolonged trauma or abuse that can cause certain diagnoses. Uh, there can be situations that cause people to have breakdowns and develop certain patterns. Right? Some there there is a certain um, there is a theory about schizophrenia that the individual is not necessarily schizophrenic, but the environment is schizophrenic, and that creates schizophrenic behavior. So ultimately, human behavior is the result of environment and your interpersonal experience. So if someone is showing behavior that would qualify them for a diagnosis, if we look at why they might be behaving that way, it might be because that's the only way their environment is allowing them to. And so I think it's so important to, to look at that, um, you know, instead of saying, just disregarding someone and saying, okay, they have a diagnosis, they're not well. Uh, it's, it's people go through things for good reasons usually. And so I think it's, um, it's important to acknowledge that, the personal struggle. Uh, another question from Sienna. John, how do you deal with incredibly dismissive therapists or psychiatrists when it's having a de detrimental effect on someone who's seriously mental ill? What should you do? Yeah, good question. And if you have experienced that, I definitely say I'm sorry that you went through that because that can be really um, painful to open up and be vulnerable and to feel dismissed. Um, so I would... I would honestly try a therapist or a psychiatrist. I mean, it's okay to shop around. Um, everyone has a different style. You want to make sure that you feel supported and heard. Um, if you've already had a long-standing relationship with them, and this is something that happened um, after you've known them for a bit, then I would bring it up so you're not, you know, just uh, casting it, it aside. But um, if it's something where right off the bat you don't feel that click, then it's okay to. Just find someone that maybe does fit a little bit. And here's another great question, probably our last one. Um, this is from 2K Demics. Thoughts on figuring identity? Because as a teen, I really sometimes see someone else when I look in the mirror, and I just don't really know how to find find base and figure out who I truly am. I love this question, 2K. So thank you for asking. That's an awesome question. Yeah. That is something that I know this might be a frustrating answer. That's something that only you would be able to answer, right? And you would want to delve into in therapy. Um, so I would want to, I would ask the question, why do you see someone else? Who is that person that you're seeing in the mirror? Um, and if you don't know who that base is, what do you think has led you to feel that way, right? I mean, it, it, have you felt like you've had to be someone else your whole life or with their pressures or whatever? These are the things that I would get into in therapy, but it's tough to give like a, a definitive answer. And again, short term, it may be challenging or tough, but long term is where you're going to really see the benefits and, and true growth. Yeah, for sure. um, I said, I said, I also like to say that they're not alone in that because I mean, there's been growing up, I used to look at the mirror and not like who I was. I'm not saying that that's what they do. They said they couldn't recognize who that person was. But I mean, for me, I just generally didn't like the person that I was growing up. 
looking in the mirror. I took some time to find myself in that aspect of it. So, I mean, I had support in that way, so it helped, but I'm saying that it's not a rarity for people to feel that if you feel alone, because, you know, because that's what growth is, is growing to learn who you are Absolutely. as a person and not who society wants you to be or the ideal of what social media says you should be. So true. There's so many good questions. Um, Ale comes back with another great one. As, as someone who wants to urgently have their loved one go to therapy, but they don't want to or think they don't need to, if I myself go to somewhat set the example, do you see that as being effective? I think that's a really great way of going about it. Uh, in psychology, we call that modeling. So sometimes if you want to set a positive tone for something that maybe someone doesn't realize is a good thing, taking that first step yourself can really help them feel like it is a safe thing. Beautiful. Um, all right, John, um, we, uh, first of all, I, I thank you for joining us. And as you can see, our community loves you and loves the, everything you give us. So I want to thank you. I do have one more question before I turn you, the, the floor to you for your, your up to minute, uh, don't want to say rant. That seems a little aggressive, but up to minute little talk. I want to know if there's any exercise we could do at home um, with our significant others since Valentine's Day is coming around the corner to better understand them and have them better understand us. Is there any simple things you would recommend for couples to do who may need some type of help? Yep. So there is something called Love Maps that was developed by these uh, two psychologists. Uh, there are a couple that has dedicated their whole life to researching uh, happiness in couples. And a love map is basically figuring out every nook and cranny of your significant other's psyche, right? Their likes, dislikes, fears, hopes, dreams. And a lot of these things you probably already know, but it can be a really fun exercise to write them down and show your partner what these things are. And it can be this incredible experience where the other person is like, wow, I didn't know you knew that about me. And it's like, yeah, you know, I remember you told me this or whatever. And um, the key there is to make sure that, you know, we don't judge our partner about things and, and get too serious about it. It's supposed to be a really fun experience and it can be really revealing about how much we really do know about our partner. And we can learn about them too. Love it, love it. Okay, so um, John, I do want to also, before we even get to the minute, I know I just said that, but I want to let everyone know who's watching, you can reach John by going to www.pcpasf.com. Um, he does do virtual sessions. Um, and anything else we should know about you, Mr. John, before regarding, I guess, what you offer or anything you do before we go, we turn the floor to you? Uh, no, you, you did a really good job covering everything. Okay, cool. So with that said, here we go. Up to a minute, Mr. John, whatever you want to talk about could be your favorite music, you know, your sufferings from the Super Bowl, if there are any. Right. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I just want to let everyone know whatever you're going through out there, uh, whether it's melancholy from Valentine's Day or recent divorce or breakup or even losing a loved one, there's always support out there for you. And um, if it's through friends or family or therapist. Uh, just know that you're not alone and it is okay to reach out. And there are people out there that are there for you. 
Well, John, on behalf of my brother Taj and our DDJF board, as well as the community who watches or listens to us weekly, we want to thank you for joining us and um, helping us through this difficult and challenging time. Um, Taj, is there anything else I missed before we, we sign off for the day? Not that I can think of. I was just kind of, um, no, there isn't. I think it's such an important topic just in general, what's going on. So thank you, John, for coming back. Thank you guys so much. For yeah. The mental health is, is something that I, I think is becoming more and more talked about, which is a beautiful thing, but we still have some ways to go. Your mental health is very important, everyone. So if you are struggling, please seek to find it, um, find help and um, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. And again, I want to commend everyone who asked a question or made a comment. I'm sorry I didn't get to them all, but um, I just want to thank you guys for being open, honest, and I I truly believe that's the first step of and sign of strength is is being honest and and real with yourself and not being ashamed of it. So I want to thank you guys all again. Thank you, John, Gavin Nano. Yeah, Gavin Nano. That was good. Okay. All right. Um, everyone, we will see you next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Thank you so much for, for joining us today on the Power of Love show. Take care and have a great rest of your week.